0: So, uh, so far in the book of Galatians and in the previous four chapters, uh, Paul's really been outlining why the law or legalism or a religious spirit is just the worst, just the worst. It's not what makes you a person accepted by God. It's grace. Uh, through faith in Jesus, that's what makes us accepted by, by Jesus, which is why taking communion is so beautiful. Like we've got to keep coming back to that central reality. And as I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, we may think, oh, all these, you know, this big kerfuffle in the early church about the law, you know, when you're not saved by law. Well, that's not a big deal in terms of doctrine anymore, in the church has clarified that. But as I've been saying, there's this battle that goes on inside every one of us around how, like, am I really accepted by God? And especially when I've uh, thought that thought or kicked that cat or ate that extra cream bun or whatever it may be, you know, is that, am I still acceptable? And the answer is yes, through faith in Jesus. Like his grace is sufficient. So there's this kind of legalism and law that we've got to um, wrestle with in terms of our own lives. And I can't overstate how much that's a battle for every one of us. Like I know that's been a battle for me. And when I have honest pastoral chats, people, you know, and I keep saying this, this whole thing around like, often the mentality is you've got to reach a level, a sort of threshold of goodness before you're allowed to go to church and feel comfortable, and it's like no, it's completely the opposite. We run to the one who can make us clean, and uh, and so that's the the heart of God, uh, and so. Paul changes gear now in this chapter and starts to paint a picture of how rich and beautiful and opulent and magnificent and incomparable and suits a superlative here, uh, the life that is found in Jesus is just so stunning and it's found by living in the Spirit. So we're going to unpack that. Like he changes gears where it's like he's been kind of critiqued and saying, hey, you can't, you can't be, you're not justified by the law and you've got all this sort of stuff going on. But now he starts to paint a picture of how stunning the life is in the Spirit led by the Spirit in relationship with Jesus. Uh, It's so incredible. And this chapter, chapter 5 of Galatians, the book of Galatians, has so radically changed my life that it's hard to put it into words, that the healing and the freedom of the life that's been found here for me is incredible. And the picture of what the free life lived in the Spirit uh, that's expressed in in this passage has really shaped my life, especially in the last 10 or so years, and led me into places of flourishing in my own soul that really have brought this very deep conviction, like, oh my gosh, there's only resurrection life, it's only found in Jesus. Like the true life we long for, it's found in Jesus. Not just as a theory, but as an experienced reality, I'm like, yes, that's true. And, uh, and that's why the Bible often says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's like, man, I've tasted and I'm not preaching from like having arrived, I've, t- I've nibbled, I've nibbled, but I've nibbled enough, man, to go sign me up for the rest of my life in terms of this journey, right? So that's, I'm pretty, pretty passionate about what we're about to jump into. Comprende? It's all good? All right. So let's work our way through. Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 5. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, Steve Graham at our camp unpacked uh, this in an outstanding talk that I have posted on our Facebook page. Uh, but uh, if you haven't listened to that, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, because it, he captures something of God's heart that we would live in freedom. And Paul starts really hitting this now. Freedom is the end game. Like freedom is why Jesus came. And by the end of the talk, I hope that you've captured what that, that can look like. That, that God is looking for people and leading us into places where we live in incredible freedom. Um, and a freedom that 's like tangible it 's it's, it's, it's experienced freedom like literal freedom from that sin and guilt and shame and fear that, that we often so that we often just carry around. Freedom from the addiction and the cycle that it keeps us trapped in. Freedom from comparison and envy because we're just desperately loved and we really know that. Freedom from self-loathing sometimes when we can get really annoyed at ourselves. Freedom from needing to prove ourselves. You name the place of freedom that you know you need to walk into, Jesus has died to lead you into that place. Like He wants, uh, he wants us to live in incredible freedom. I've said this before, but uh, the literal description word in the Greek for the word freedom is, is a wide open place. Like that's, how I died so that you would be saved. What saved? A wide open place. Salvation feels like freedom. And like, so this is the whole thing. Jesus came to set us free. In verse 13, we're going to explore this in a second. He says, uh, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh, flesh rather than serve one another humbly in love. Uh, it's the story of Exodus, like the meta-narrative of the Bible, uh, people in slavery that get set free. Led, led through the Red Sea. Jesus' death was uh, that, that uh, leading us through the dark, the, the the waters of death into new life, and uh, and that's why we we baptize people. You are walking, going through the waters again, and coming into a place of freedom and new life. When Jesus stands up to preach for the first time, and it's like, here's why I'm here. He quotes from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Like this is why Jesus has come. And like, here's why this is important, uh, because as you grab hold of this and walk into places of freedom, and if, you, and if you're led by the Spirit, we're gonna see this in a minute, if you're led by the Spirit and that's happening, what happens is you become a little a mini Jesus, leading other people into freedom. Like this is what we're called to as a church, is we're called to be a people that lead folks out of slavery into freedom, places of freedom. What does that look like? What does that look like in your family? What does that look like in your workplace? What does that look like from what I know, i have got a massive heart for that so What does it look like for us to be people that lead others into places of grace and truth and freedom? That's cool. All right, let's keep on on, on that. What does that freedom look like? We're going to explore that in a second, but let's, let's just not go that slowly because we're on at verse two. Verse two, <laughs> mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, if you've been tracking with us the last couple of weeks, you know why he's saying this. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Again, last couple of weeks, bring context to those couple of verses. Verse four, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So let's go, next slide Grant. I I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but this is basic doctrine that's super important for us to understand because Paul's talking about this again. Again, we've been justified because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That's a legal term. You've been made right with God because of what He's done on the cross for you. He's set you free. You have been completely forgiven It's re- and we simply receive that gift by faith in Jesus. It's a gift of grace. But then we're in this journey of being sanctified. Uh, so Galatians 5, what by the Spirit. We're going to look through all of this in a minute. Philippians 3.16 one of the most, uh, the clearest scriptures in terms of the sanctification in my mind. So now let us live up to what we have already attained. So as we walk by the Spirit, we become who we already are in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So I've said this before, but you've been declared holy and righteous. So now live up to what you've already attained. Become who you already are. Learn to be a holy person, a righteous person, a sanctified person. Uh, And then lastly, one day we're going to be glorified. Hallelujah. He will bring that work to completion. Right? So this is the journey that we're all on. So this is what Paul's Paul's, uh, got in his head as he, in verse five, says, through the Spirit, we uh, eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So there's this journey that we're all on. And again, I like my little diagram. I'm very proud. This is the Sam Harvey original, actually. I love that there's um, buckets of grace all the way through that sanctification journey, right? Because do we keep do we meet that standard of holy and righteousness? No, we screw it up every other hour in my case. And it's like, I need grace every step of the way. Hallelujah. And it says, can you just see how much God is for us in this? He's done it all on the cross for us. He empowers us to live a beautiful life in which our soul flourishes. If we walk in obedience to Him, filled with the Holy Spirit, then one day we're glorified. What's our involvement in that whole journey? Just yielding to Him. It's like it's all His grace. It's all a gift. There's no striving. There's no straining. There's a, It's a gift. Now, is the obedience and yielding thing easy? No, we're proud gits, aren't we? And so we really struggle with that whole, that's the bit we struggle with, right? And actually, it's not just pride, it's trust. Deep trust in his character. Deep trust in his nature that he's worthy of our trust. But he's just for us. He just believes in us. I love it. All right. Here we go. For in Christ, uh, verse six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's a huge statement. I mean, that's just huge. It doesn't matter, like again, being having it all sorted and all together. No, what counts is faith expressed. It's expressing itself through love. And then verse seven, we're really taking along here because we're getting some good stuff. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? This is a sobering little moment here, and and it would it would do us well to meditate on this. It's particularly those of us who have been Christians for a while. You know, Maybe I've been a Christian, I don't know, I got saved a lot in my teenage years because I backslid a lot, so it's all a little hazy around where the moment was. It all got. Um, but I've been a Christian for a long time, a number of decades, three or four decades, three, three decades at least, yikes. Um, and in uh, a Paul's words, you were running a good race, but what happened? Like something happened. You, we never get, Beyond the point of vulnerability in terms of deception or our faith cooling down or like or drifting from the the basics of what it means to follow Jesus, like we we just got to be careful. Like we just never graduate to the point where we're complete. Again, it's that pride that says I'm completely self-sufficient and sordid, and it's all a bit beyond or below me now. It's actually the opposite. Like the more you track with Jesus, the greater descent it is into places of serving humbly and love, and we're going to see this in a second. It's the greater love for His bride. It's a greater commitment. Greatest, there's a soft, there's a soft heart that says, I, I've, "I'm broken. I need revelation about where my blind spots are and help me grow." You know, there's this humility that takes place as we go along. So, uh, it's, I, I've I found that quite a poignant moment as I was reflecting on this passage of, like, you know, you were you were running a good race. I know a lot of people, and it breaks my heart as a pastor who were running a good race, and I just don't know where they are anymore in terms of their faith with God. It's like, man. So let's just stay humble on that whole thing. Stay connected to church communities, keep a soft heart, walk with wisdom, keep hungry, all those things. Verse 8, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And he quotes this, has this little quote, a little yes works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who has throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Again, so that there's there's Consequences for people with uh, bringing distortion to what uh, biblical truth and all that sort of stuff, and bring confusion. Um, and then uh, this part's so epic. I love this bit. <laughs> this is going be so cool. Here we go. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible. It's like, that's Paul. If you don't see his personality shining through in that verse, I don't know. Don't you love that? It's, Paul's not some stodgy Anglican bishop. Paul's a bit cheeky, isn't he? Like, oh yeah, they're talking in circumstances and they chop the whole thing off while you're at it, mate. You know, it's like I love it. Uh because and he's right because exactly what I was saying in the in the communion. He's the reason he's saying this is like if you've got to do extra stuff to also be saved, then the cross means nothing. But we come to the cross because this it's only through his it's only through that blood that is shed that we're saved and we can walk into the resurrection, flourishing life of God. Then he changes gears again. It's like Paul goes on tangents, like all good preachers do. all right, Paul. Back to back to verse thirteen. Here we go. You, my brothers and sisters, we're cycling back here. We're called to be free, but do not use the use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather than serve one another humbly in love. This is a huge, huge scripture. If you walk in the Spirit, serve one another humbly in love, and uh, and uh, and you're fulfilling the law. So, where do we go on this one? Next slide, Grant. What have I done here? Uh, okay. Uh, let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve talked about this. Um, there can be a whole, there can be a sense where um, as we journey with God and as we, t- as, as we work through the sanctifying journey where we uh, mature, and uh, life gets a little bit more sorted than the crazy and chaos that often we find ourselves in when we first meet Jesus, that uh, we can get a little bit entitled. And, And we can be experiencing the incredible freedom of God but what does Paul say? Like, what does is, what is true freedom look like? It doesn't look like indulging the flesh. I'm, going to, flesh. I'm going to talk about this in a second. Like, there's so much freedom in Jesus because of the cross. Paul, like, has to caution. Like, it's not there just to do whatever you want in terms of indulging the flesh. And he's going to explain what that looks like in a second. But he says this huge line, rather, serve one another humbly in love. And the, and the point that Paul's making is that free people can humbly serve others. Like the, the evidence that you are free, like deeply free, is that you don't mind serving other people because you don't have the sense. Again, all the words there are incredible. To serve humbly in love. Service means I'm not entitled. I don't think I'm better than other people. So there's a freedom there. Humbly, not with ego or pride, in love. Again, what's love? The opposite of love isn't, I don't know, what it, of hate. The opposite of love's disconnection is Withdrawing, so what's Paul saying? Serve humbly in love, it's like with like engage, go like in deeper in terms of serving uh people around you. That's the mark, that's the evidence, like that it pours out of free people as they can serve humbly in love. It's funny, we live in a, in a you know, in a capitalist uh, um, you know, a democracy, which is all good, but the problem with that sometimes is that Christians can. I've heard that you know, I could just picked up this vibe where people, um, you know, accrue, a you know, a pretty sweet lifestyle and, and a bit of cash in the bank and all the rest of it. And there's this thing of like, I've, I've, I've worked hard for this. I've worked hard for this, you know, and, and I deserve this because I'm the one that worked really hard for this. And uh, Tim Keller points this out. I love it because this is actually the biblical worldview, right? He says this, you didn't choose your race. You didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose the century you were born in. You say, I've worked hard. With what? The mind, the talents, the abilities, the friendships and the networks that God has given you. You didn't choose your parents, your siblings, your early childhood experiences that we say were so formative. You didn't choose your basic level of talents and abilities. That's all him. Like that's a biblical worldview. It's all grace. It's all a gift. And so self-absorbed and therefore miserable life views everything as I'm owed this. But humility is the joyous life in which everything we received is received as a gift. That's a gift. Thank you, Lord, for everything. And how do I, how do I respond to all of that? Serve humbly in love. Serve with my money and my time and my talents and, and to bless people and see other people, the richest life that you could live, the richest life. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed By each other. So Paul then, all of a sudden, for the first time, talks about the law in a positive way. Uh, David A. De Silva's commentary on this it might seem strange that Paul would refer uh, positively to a command of the Torah or the law in Galatians, having gone to such pains to demonstrate that the Torah has a limited role for a limited time in God's purposes for God's people. Paul observes an important distinction in this regard. Listen, this is amazing. Torah or the law is not something to be done by Christians, but the Torah or the law is fulfilled by Christians. So there's a sense like when you're walking with the Spirit and you're walking a life of love, that's the absolute fulfillment of what God's heart was when it came to the law in the first place. When you are loving and serving Serving other people, you are fulfilling the law of God, which is how it goes that? Verse 16. So here we go. Now it gets interesting. So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desire what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Oh, this is just one of those great passages, right, where everyone's like, if you've got any ounce of self-awareness, you're like, mm-hmm, oh yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, there's the flesh in me that wants that donut, and there's the spirit that's saying, you need to stop eating so many donuts, bro. you got heart disease in your family, and it's like, ah. You know, there's that, fl- there's that battle that goes on. And... um. It's interesting because Paul's actually talking about another form of slavery here. And again, this is just riffing off what Steve Graham said. Grant, next slide. Um, he uh, he talked about this at camp there. It was so helpful, right? So we've got this incredible freedom that we can live, but there's two ditches that we can fall into either side of this, and that's either license or legalism. And this is what Paul's addressing here. And so we've got this place of incredible freedom that we can fall into. And, and like Paul in the heart of Jesus is and, and it's like, I don't want you to get stuck in slavery. Um, and, uh, and so Paul's saying that like, there's these two threats to this freedom, the, f- the flesh or license just to pursue what you desire. Um and so sometimes we can grow up in like really um, like legalistic, uh, uh, a really rigid background where our parents are super strict. And then like we get come to faith and we just we start discovering the like the, the scandalous freedom that's found in Jesus. And it's like, thank goodness I don't have to do all that kind of religious fundamentalist stuff anymore. And then we just and then it becomes license and we get stuck in a whole other type of slavery where before you know it, you know, it's like we're, we're dependent on all God a whole bunch of naughty things, you know, and we're just sliding into this whole thing of, of getting messed up because we're just going with our flesh all over again, right? But then there's the other side of things where it's like we can get really into like, no, you can't do that and you can't do this and you shouldn't do that. And we can, we can, we can uh, go the other way where we get out of a mess, but then we get super religious. And Steve was saying, you just keep exchanging slaveries, right? So there's this whole lot of wisdom that's, that we need here in terms of what does it look like to like truly live free? Because we can get either super religious, or we can get stuck in all sorts of behaviours that actually then start enslaving us again, and it's like actually no, like there's this beautiful place of freedom. Now, I wanna, I wanna just, I wanna speak to this a little bit because I've noticed this a lot over the years. Um, often, like what that freedom looks like is different for every one of you. It's different for every one of you, and uh, so. Uh, if you have um, gone through a season in your life where uh, alcohol had a hold on you, then you shouldn't be drinking, right? And, and that's what freedom looks like for you. It's like, I'm not in that anymore, right? But there are other people who've not had that problem in their life and there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't enjoy a drink, Right? Issue of conscience. I've always got quiet. We feel really uncomfortable. And this is the thing that we need to get a little bit like, I don't want to shake you a little. The freedom you have in Jesus is incredible. And what happens is that we make issues of conscience issues of law. Listen, Paul says this in Romans 14. Uh, verse 1, he says, he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but don't quarrel over opinions. One person m- believes he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. <laughs> Paul wasn't a massive vegan or vegetarian here, clearly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I didn't see that until now, actually. that For the 2,000 years old text here, that's not exactly PC. So let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should just be fully convinced in his own mind. This is where, again, it comes to being led by the Spirit. This, like you are different, and your history is different, and your background is different. So, what freedom looks like for you is going to look different to another person. And now, uh, for those of us who have uh, less um, brokenness to work through, then our job is to humbly serve in love. So, we're not cracking open beers or you know, or, or enjoying a single malt or whatever around our friends where that's been an issue. We've got to be sensitive. We're here to serve humbly in love. We're not like, hey, I'm free. Does that make sense? So again, there's a humility. It's, I just want to serve on a soup, But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the drink. Now, I'm using that as just one example. Because, you know, especially as a parent now, that in this room, in terms of our parents, there's a whole lot of views around what's the best way to raise our kids. What should we protect them from? And what should we help uh, expose them to and help them grow in discernment? And now that's a whole dance in itself, Right. And that's different from kid to kid and family to family and all the rest of it. And all of us parents are trying to do our best, right? There's just absolutely. So these are issues of conscience. And so what I want to be just say be careful about is judging another family for the ways they are raising their kids. When it's an issue of conscience, it's not a black and white thing of law, and I've seen the dangers again on both sides a whole lot. I've seen people where growing up and and with and parents have had this deep desire to protect them for a long, long time, and the problem is since they've hit uni or whatever, they've gone completely crazy, and and, uh, and people have grown up in very religious homes or fundamentalist homes, uh, and they think that that's what Christianity is like. And then they they again they discover that actually they can choose to walk away from all of that real heavy burden of the law. And so, you've got to be careful, parents, and we've got to work through them. All of us have to navigate this sort of stuff, but you are free in Christ. Embrace that freedom, celebrate that freedom, enjoy the freedom that God's given you. Just you know, whether it's the flesh indulging the flesh or not, you know, that's why you've got to be led by the Spirit. This is where it gets so exciting because, and listen to this. Beth Moore says this: what the law can only tell us to do, the Spirit can empower us to do. That's huge if you get your head around that. What the law could only tell us to do, you shouldn't eat that, you shouldn't drink that, you shouldn't touch that, you shouldn't smoke that, you shouldn't whatever. The Spirit can empower us to do that. I'm not touching that, I'm not thinking about that. The Spirit, now is that an instant process? No, it doesn't happen overnight, as Rachel Hunter said, but it will happen. If you walk with the Spirit, the Spirit in you grows and there's the stronger ability to choose the way of life. And it's not a heavy thing, of like, I'm not allowed to have fun anymore. There's more fun and joy and life found in Jesus than anywhere else, but it's led by the Spirit. David De Silva says it like this in true academic styles. The Spirit is sufficient to nurture righteousness. That's a good line. The Spirit is sufficient. Is the Spirit enough to lead you into life? Yes, the Spirit is sufficient to lead you into righteousness. But as I said, does it happen overnight? No, it doesn't, right? So everyone's in a battle in terms of the flesh and the Spirit. And as we continue to be faithful to God and learn to, what it means to walk in the Spirit, then uh, then we continue to walk into life. And we don't like we don't have to fear. Again, on one level, like sometimes you know, as a pastor, I'm like, man, if I preach this stuff too hard, what is my congregation going to get up to? You know, it's like what kind of. Uh, but trust me, the Spirit's really good at convicting sin, and <laughs> bringing revelation to our blind spots, and all the rest of. It. Really good, like really good. And why, again, not to make us to, to feel stink, but to lead us into life, to bring conviction? So then, he, then it gets into the, like, the nitty-gritty. All right, Paul, what the heck do you mean by the acts of the flesh? Oh, hold on to, no, hold on to someone, actually. Hold on to something. Uh, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Listen, here we go, this, oh, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, what a line, debauchery, idolatry, and woodcraft, and hatred, and discord, and jealousy, and fits of rage, and selfish ambition, and dissensions, and factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, glad the kids are out. And the like, I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Once more, there's a real problem here because we are reading a a text from 2,000 years ago and Bible nerds have spent ages going, what's the best English word we could use to capture that in the Greek? But you know, and the problem is we read all that list and go... Uh, well, no, no orgies this week, um, minimal drunkenness in the last year, um, fits of rage, uh, once or twice there, but no, adultery and whiff crowd. Eugene Pedersen helps us here because he uh, is reading the original language and he's now putting it in, I think, far better language. So now let's work through the list and you can now tick these boxes, okay, as we go through. He says this in the message version. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. Thank goodness he doesn't. That's a different ballgame, isn't it? It got pretty quiet just then, like real quiet. And it's like, we, and it friends, not, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but the truth sets us free. The truth sets us free. It's like, man, there's this stuff. And he says this like, uh, if you use your freedom in this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Once more, Sam needs to remind everyone that when Paul and Jesus talk about God's kingdom, he's not talking about going to heaven when you die. Okay? It's not talking about going to God in heaven. Like again, if you're justified, you've been justified with God. As I said in the sermon a couple of weeks ago, it's how, how free do you want to live? How sanctified do you want to be? How whole do you want to be? That's on your side of the ledger, right? That's, on, that's in terms of do you want to walk with the Spirit into that beautiful rich life of freedom? Now what happens if you don't? You just don't inherit the kingdom of God. Now the rich beautiful, stunning life of the kingdom that can be experienced and lived in increasingly now, that's what you miss out on by just saying, I'm just going to go along with what my flesh feels like doing. So then Paul's like, well, what does the kingdom of God look like? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Oh, man, this, I can't, like, this is stunning. This is stunning. This is the problem with familiarity with a passage like this, like Galatians 5, is that we lose how stunning it is. I pray that the Spirit of Revelation will help you see how beautiful this is. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Eugene Peterson, again, message version, says this. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our own way in life, able to marshal and direct our energy energies wisely. That's a beautiful description. That's helpful. Now now this these this description of what the fruit of the spirit is has so captivated this is why you know I, if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram I'm like this has changed my life. And why especially what's happened here because for God, by His Spirit, and this is how he awesome the Holy Spirit is, right? But he began to speak to me and give me a vision about the sort of life that He wants me to live as I walk with Him. And, and much of my Christian life, especially as a pastor, had been lived under all sorts of obligations about things I should do uh, that I didn't really feel like doing and things I shouldn't do that I really actually wanted to do, <laughs> Right? And then it's like, oh, okay, so that's the Christian life. And then it's like, this began to burst into my world and completely transform me. And again, when, I, I, when I'm really honest, in my early years following Jesus, I'd looked at that as a list of things I should do rather than a list of things that bubble up within me. And, and so like, oh, I've got to be lovel and lovely and I've got to be happy and I've got to be peaceful. And I'm you know, and it's like, but I don't feel like that. And then as I've been learning to walk with the Spirit, Love, joy and peace, the first three that Paul mentioned there, became increasingly an experienced reality in my life rather than just some theoretical thing on a piece of paper. Get your head around an experienced reality. Now, those first three things are what Paul, uh, what uh, the Gospel of John highlight as the major fruit that come from abiding with Jesus. In John 15, you'll notice that love, joy, and peace are the three key fruits that, t- that Jesus talks about. You remain in me, you abide in me. Over time, this is, this is what will happen in your life. And I, I just cannot believe how beautiful it is. And um, so let's go through some of these. Love. Uh, I'm accepted just as I am, and therefore I can love. Like, love isn't just about you loving something. It's about experiencing love. Like, again, as I keep trying to say, like, as an experienced reality, you feel loved. How cool is that? Like, how imagine what your average day would look like if you just consistently felt the love of God for you, just like you walked in it. That's why I'm like, let's have devotion times and let's stay as close to him as we can. Like even in your mess that you felt loved by him, that's even better. It's like, wow, imagine how good your soul and your mind would feel if that was it. Then like, it just, but wait, there's more. Joy, joy. I've said this story before, but it really hit me because I was meditating on this, uh, on, on those first three. I just really got locked in my head and my mind was finally starting to imagine what my life could feel like, right? So I remember one time I'm driving between, uh, this is when we lived in Christchurch. Uh, we had uh, a, a number of different campuses uh, for this big church there. And so I was always in the car driving between our uh, different locations. Uh, And, you know, go from, like, some intense meeting, planning something, which I hate planning meetings. I mean, leadership team is like, oh, just kill me now. You know, and then it's like, and so I've got another meeting plan. And so, like, what do I do? So because I've got 15 minutes in the car, I'm like, I've got to have as much fun as I can in that 15 minutes, right? And so, and and I feel a bit guilty. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I should probably be listening to a sermon or some Hillsong or something. But it's like, I've got to just have a bit of a giggle. So I put on Hamish and Andy, the Australian comedic duo, and I'll listen to their podcast. And I would just crack it. Like I'll be like, whatever just happened to me, I don't care. And we're going to plan. But I'm just going to like, and I would just laugh from for 15 minutes the time I got in the car to time. And I remember this one moment I'm driving along and it's like God was in the car. And it was like, God said to me, I love that you're laughing and I want you to linger in places of joy as often and as regularly as you possibly can. How to cultivate the joy in your life is by sitting in places like this intentionally and sucking the life out of it and trying to make it increasingly your predominant experience rather than the rare exception of your life. And I'm like, wow, can I, like, that's insane. And then it's like you go through really crappy times. And you're like, can that still be the case now? Yes, it can. I can know the joy of the Lord. I can know that that I'm forgiven and that I'm loved and that even though I'm going through hell right now, He's won the victory over sin and death and whatever happens, worst case scenario, I'm meeting Him, hallelujah, right? And you can know that joy. Sometimes it's a defiant joy. And like, last year at camp, like, we did our dance party, and I was a bit cross because some people, Christians, they call them Christians, and they're like, oh, they, you know, I'm going to leave camp but early. I don't want to go to the dance party. I'm not really into dancing. And I'm like, don't you know that like, this is actually the community of celebration and joy and dancing? And there was a couple of people I was especially proud of because they were going through a particularly tough time, didn't feel like going to the dance party, but went anyway. And you know what? I was, I was like, that's defiant joy. Sometimes it's defiant joy. It's like, screw you, circumstances, screw you, devil, I'm laughing anyway. Like, you're not going to rob me of the joy that comes from walking in the spirit, even though I'm going through all this rubbish. And it's like, screw you, joy, sometimes, right? Sometimes it's not just overflow because I'm having a good day. <laughs> oh, screw you, joy. It's like, I'm having a good giggle anyway because I'm walking with the spirit. I mean, I've only hit two so far. Peace. Oh. Like, this, the the Greek, again, it's tapping into shalom. So not just like, oh, there's no conflict in my life. Everyone's got, in fact, if, there's, I heard this awesome statement the other day. If you don't have conflict in your life, you don't have real relationship. You've just got networking. Like, right? So like, you got to give, Conflict. not not full time <laughs> I'm not trying to say like oh I'm so healthy because I'm in conflict with everyone <laughs> but from time to time there's conflict that goes on all the rest of it right and so what this peace thing's talking about shalom it's this deep deep peace of like, the sense of wholeness in your mind and heart because he's with you and you're walking by the spirit again that's a, what a gift imagine if that was your experienced reality rather than your rare exception well this is what God wants to create in us those first three are just uh, are acts of God, incredible gifts of grace. We can't actually, like we can position ourselves to cultivate them. We can put some manure in the soil of our hearts, <laughs> I mean a weird metaphor, uh, but to, uh, to help cultivate that. We can listen to Hamish Nandy and watch Mr. Bean or whatever you're into, I don't care. But it's like you can cultivate that and run with it. But it's supremely, it's actually just a gift from God. It's a gift of grace. And then the next three of the fruits start manifesting themselves. And this is where, like, this personal growth starts to occur. Patience. The Greek word, or whatever. Pakpupia or makothumia. I don't know why I bother. It's just a brag. The only pastors only say Greek words to show off. <laughs> I looked up the Greek. Listen, uh, while uh, the word patience can mean a state of remaining tranquil while, remain, while awaiting an outcome, here it likely denotes a patience towards others or a state being able to bear up under provocation. That's huge. I have a patience. And, it's, and, and the, they reckon in the Greek there's more to do with people. I'm patient with people. I can, people can provoke me and annoy me a bit, but I'm, I've got some patience for them. I've got, some, I've got some grace for them. That's cool. Kindness. Kindness, the freedom to deal with life in a relaxed and leisurely fashion, not forcing, not coercing, not pushing, not shoving. Kindness. Goodness. Goodness is not the equivalent of niceness. The basic idea driving this term is an active disposition towards others that bring benefit. Goodness, blessing. I bless people. I, bless, I encourage people. People are left off feeling a bit better after they've hang out with me. And the last three are these beautiful gifts that start manifesting themselves in the world. Faithfulness, this incredible capacity to be involved in long-term loyal commitment rather than bailing because it's not easy at time. Like the Spirit of God... Just, this is one of the most underrated fruits of the Spirit. This is one of the most underrated attributes of is perseverance, of faithfulness, to community, to each other, to the Lord. Again, I'm going to run that race well. I'm not going to get cut off. I'm going I'm going to keep being faithful, particularly to community. Gentleness. Timothy George says this as an expression of the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, I love this gentleness is strength under control. Power harnessed in loving service and respectful action. It is the furthest thing from weakness. Listen, gentleness is strength fully submitted to God that recognises when to sit quietly at the table and when to overturn it. It's strength fully submitted to God. That's gentleness. And self-control, no, Lord, no, no, not this one, please. I really liked all of them up to this point. I was like, yes, Lord. But then it's like, oh, self-control. And this is amazing. Like, oh, right. The gift of being able to direct our energies wisely. And he goes on in verse 24 to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I'm choosing you first, Jesus. I'm choosing you first. And self-control, like, I want to finish this thing. i talking about what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Because, man, we need to learn to walk in the Spirit when no one's looking. We need to learn to walk in the Spirit when I'm a bit grumpy and tired. I want to need to walk in the Spirit when I'm feeling a bit vulnerable, whatever it may be. Like, that's when it counts. That's when I need the fruit of the Spirit to come and self-control to manifest itself. And again, he does it. He does it. Speaking from very personal experience with a few battles with naughty things over my years, he does it. He gives us this capacity to make the right choice when no one's looking, when it really counts. When we don't feel zingy after a church service, we can still make good choices for Jesus. And, and you know, that the, one of the best feelings of the world is waking up and you attempted the day before. And then you wake up and you're actually sober again from all that, whatever chemicals we're trying to tempt into whatever. And it's like, and you've made the right decision and you haven't screwed up some friendships or relationships or you don't feel, you wake up and it's like, that's a good feeling. fuel. <sighs> thank goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you, you guided me through that. And here's the beauty. When you do make mistakes, grace. How, isn't he amazing? It's just like, you can't, it's just Grace. You make mistake, you wake up in the morning, it's like, Lord, once more, I'm going to run to the one who can make me clean, not away from him. Lord, I give you my shame, I give you my regrets, I give you my, whatever it may be. And he comes and he draws near and he picks us I dust us, all right, keep going, keep going, let's be faithful, let's be faithful. Verse 25, how are we doing? Not bad. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since so, this is the kind of like. What does it look like to, to live by the Spirit? To keep in step by the Spirit. Again, the message translation is helpful. I think it kicks, kicks us off in the right direction. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit. Let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implication in every detail of our lives. What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? Now, uh, here's the answer uh, to what does it look like to walk in the Spirit. Uh, I don't know. Like, literally, it's like this is the problem with this point. It's like, what does it look like to walk in the. Everything in me would love to give you, here's the three things you've got to do to walk in step with the Spirit. But it's like the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person. And the way he speaks and leads and what does it look like to walk in the step with the Spirit is different for every one of us. But there's this ongoing thing of like dialogue and the Spirit leading us and guiding us. And so there's some helpful things we can do. For example, we can pray every day, come Holy Spirit and fill me. We leak. Whenever Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, he uses the present continuous tense in the Greek. Be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I tell you what, I'm loving the service. I'm having a great time. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I've enjoyed the worship. I've enjoyed communion. And I'm enjoying myself right now having a good old preach, right? And I sense the Holy Spirit here and I'm filled. I'm ready to go. Like, man, this is Sam Harvey at his best right now. But I'm going to go home and we've got some sick kids. And most likely my night's going to be a bit interrupted this coming night. In Jesus' name, may it not be so. And if you're real God, please, 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 please. No, no, don't. Don't, don't do that. Bad theology. Anyway. I'm going to probably wake up tomorrow morning really grumpy. That's my point. Really grumpy and a bit sleep deprived. And I may probably feel like a little bit of an atheist because I've had my first coffee or whatever it may be. I'm like, are you even real God, you know? And what do I need to do in that moment? Come Holy Spirit, fill me. And I say that by faith, not by Feeling. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Come and fill me with your Spirit and lead me today. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to, because I've got this habit, I'm going to have a devotional tomorrow morning and I'm going to open the Word of God and I'm going to read the Old Testament and a Psalm and a New Testament like I do every, just about every single day. And I'm going to get in that Word and it's going to help me lock in to walk in and step with the Spirit. And then I've got every chance of just being able to hear the whisper of the Spirit to lead me into places of life that are filled with fruit. I've got a chance. And if I keep doing that day by day, I'm going to learn to walk in step with the Spirit. And so what does that mean for me in real terms? Like literally at times the Holy Spirit's like, Sam, you got to go see a counselor walking in step with the Spirit. Sam, you got to eat some humble pie and you've got to respond to that altar call and get some prayer. But I'm the pastor. Yeah. You still got to do it, okay? <laughs> a big giant, bit of humble pie. I'm about to eat again, you know. And it's like, I don't know, I don't know what. It's, sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, you got to, you got to confess that to somebody, you know. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, you got to, you know. A lot of it's a lot of humble pie involved with being led by the Spirit, to be honest. A lot of eating the old humble pie of glory. Um, but it's not about rules, though. It's not about rules. It's about a dance. It's about riding a wave. It's about this intuition where you're led by the Spirit, not trying to tick some box and it's all black and white. It's this thing of of learning to walk in step with the Spirit, of letting Him speak to you and guide you and shape you. And when when you disobey that or you choose not to do whatever, you just keep running back to Jesus and letting Him embrace you and pick you up again. And you keep choosing Him, keep choosing Him, keep choosing Him. And you will be sanctified and you'll discover this fruit is in theory, it's real. You'll begin to live it more and more. And then he finishes with a real downer. Let us not be conceited, provoking, and envying one another. It's like I might, like, Paul. Why did you finish in verse twenty six? And obviously, all the chapters and numbers and all that are fairly new. And we're just kind of doing the chapter by chapter. Which is a bit of a. I feel like I was on a good roll there. Um, but but it finishes here. It says it finishes with that, that that verse. And this means that we will not compare ourselves with each other as, as if one of us were better and the other worse. We've got far better things to do in our life then constantly be comparing each other, envying one another. The insecure person who is uh, conceited or provoking or envying is actually not living in the freedom, not living in that freedom. And uh, and Paul keeps coming back to how this impacts real-world relationships. Like, it really does. Like, when you're walking in the Spirit, it's blessing. And when we're choosing to just do our own thing, we get envious of other people and we... we we say things that we know will get a provoker reaction or whatever, but you know, keep coming back. There's this incredible freedom for us just to be us, to accept our lives and to live beautifully with the Spirit of God in us.